For AL.com, I'm Ben Flanagan. This is Outbreak Alabama, stories from a pandemic. I think that at the heart of it all, it's just educating people more, you know, doing a better job of teaching our kids how to think critically, you know, and that's it. That's all of it to me. Today, we hear from Jason Isbell. The Grammy-winning singer, songwriter, and guitarist from Green Hill, Alabama has made waves as of late. In recent months, Isbell has made headlines for requiring proof of vaccination or proof of a recent negative COVID test to attend his concerts. More specifically, you must prove that you have received a negative COVID-19 test within 72 hours of the event or that you have been fully vaccinated, meaning 14 days since your final vaccination shot at the time of the event. Children under the age of 12 or fans with a valid medical note preventing vaccination will be required to take a COVID-19 diagnostic test within 72 hours before the event and will provide proof of negative result prior to entering the venue, and mask wearing is encouraged. Touring on their 2020 album release, Reunions, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit will perform with Brothers Osborne and Jay Oladuckin at Oak Mountain Amphitheater in Pelham, Alabama on Saturday, September 11th. He'll return to Alabama for Shoals Fest in Florence October 2nd and 3rd, and on October 7th at the Sanger Theater in Mobile with Rob Aldridge. I spoke to Jason Isbell about when he decided implementing these COVID restrictions at his shows was the right thing to do, how his stance has affected the relationship with some of his fans, what it's like to finally hit the road and play again, and what it's going to take for Alabama to have a change of heart on getting vaccinated. You know, my thing is, I, I don't want to feel like people are getting sick at the shows, first of all. Um, and second of all, I don't, I, you know, I would like to actually encourage people to get vaccinated. Um, you know, I don't believe that we are completely eliminating the potential for COVID to spread at these concerts. I don't think that's possible. Um, but if everybody gets a vaccine, then most likely nobody's going to die from catching COVID at one of the shows. Um, so that's really it for me. I mean, the pushback uh, doesn't really feel like pushback. You know, it's kind of like a kind of like a whole lot of toddlers kicking in the shins because I haven't really heard any good reasons yet why we shouldn't do this. Um, uh, if I heard a good reason, you know, it, it would it would give me some pause. But so far, I, I haven't. It just seems like it's the way forward, and it's the best way we can enjoy ourselves while we're on stage, and hopefully encourage a few more people to to get the shots. And you've been so visible and vocal about COVID again, specifically about slowing the spread of the virus at your shows, requiring proof of vaccination, negative tests. You even dropped out of the Bristol Rhythm and Roots reunion because they decided against implementing those restrictions. Do you remember the moment you decided that this was the right thing to do? And, and why was it so critical to implement these restrictions at your show? Well, yeah, I remember. I was having a hard time sleeping. You know, I, I had uh, booked some shows and I was worried because I thought, man, it, it, you know, we're not we're not offering people medical care. It's not a, it's not a hospital or a clinic or a grocery store. It's a concert and, and people don't have to come to a concert. Um, I know that, you know, they enjoy it. Probably nobody enjoys it more than I do, but it's not a necessity for survival. 
Um, and because of that, I feel like we should make it something that's as safe as it can possibly be. So it, it was keeping me up at night. And, you know, I thought, well, if I'm going to get any rest, I'm going to have to do something about this. Um, I know a couple other artists had done it before me. Widespread Panic was doing it. Um, Japanese Breakfast was doing it. There were a few people who were already moving in this direction. And it just seemed like the right thing to do because, you know, I, I don't want to spend my time on stage worried about if I'm making it. Yeah, and you said recently that, quote, I don't want to put more restrictions on my audience, but I also don't want them to die. That not getting sick at one of your shows is more important than jumping through a few hoops to do it safely. Have you found that your audience in the venues have generally accepted your stance on this? Oh, yeah, yeah. For the most part, they definitely have. Maybe that's because of my audience and, and the type of audience that I have. I don't know, but but yeah, for the most part, they have. We've only had one show so far that we've had to cancel and weren't able to move to a different venue, and that was the Houston show. Everything else, even the Bristol show, you know, we, we, we dropped out of that, but we were able to book a show in Athens, Georgia for the same night. And we took a couple of the artists from the Bristol show with us, Yola and Morgan Wade. Now, Yola's got a breakthrough infection that she's recovering from, so she went, won't be there, but, but Morgan Wade will. But, you know, for the most part, people said, okay, we'll do whatever we need to do because the venues want to keep working. They want to stay open. You know, the crews at these venues have been very grateful. My own traveling crew has been very grateful. You know, there there will likely be some breakthrough cases um, in our team, but to this point, we haven't had any. You know, I, I hired a nurse last week to come out with she first show with us was in Montgomery and she travels with the band and, and tests everybody in the band and crew and then makes sure that the venues are uh, going by the protocols. And I mean, yeah, it sucks to have to do all this. It sucks for them to have to uh, provide, you know, a negative test or a proof of vaccination to come to a show. It also sucks for me to have to hire new people and, and pay them to do things that we never had to do before. And it sucks for me to not be able to go out after the show and hang out with my band somewhere uh, and and talk to people and, and, you know, have a good time. That sucks. I go straight back to the bus. I watch some Netflix. I go to sleep. That's not what I signed up for as a touring musician. But I'm willing to do it because that's how we stay busy. That's how we keep working. Uh, that's how we keep our, our industry going. If I could follow that up, you said that if you hadn't put these kinds of restrictions in place and and you didn't hold the line on it, that you would feel like you were taking advantage of people while you were doing your job. And I wonder how difficult has it been to hold the line or or is it easy and a black and white issue for you? Because I know that, you know, you put a lot of thought into it, especially considering the economic element of of paying the touring crew, factoring in the venue staffs, needing work, all, all those components and people's livelihoods depend on during touring. And you've said that you think you work with people who measure risk versus reward. So how tough was that internal discussion with you and your touring family? It wasn't hard at all for me. You know, once I, once I had heard all the opinions that I thought there were out there, it was an easy decision to make and to stick by, you know, because that's kind of how I am. I'm pretty stubborn, you know, and, and if I make a decision, where I feel like I'm well-informed beforehand, I'm going to usually stick by it. And sometimes that's not the best way to be. You know, I know that drives my wife crazy sometimes around the house, but in a situation like this, you know, I, I don't, I don't 
feel bad about the choice that I made. I, I, I don't know, you know, any of the negative pushback that I have received, you know, that doesn't bother me at all um, because I made my decision and, and I knew at the time that it was the right thing. And I still know that it's the right thing. And it, I have a pretty solid foundation of right and wrong for myself. You know, I don't want to necessarily focus on negative pushback, but you said something interesting in a recent interview where you were asked if you were sort of firing a shot across the bow at country music fans. And you said yes, but that you were kind of used to that. And I'm just interested, what do you mean you're used to that? Well, somehow I wind up in the country music conversation a lot, but I don't think I'm necessarily a country artist. And I think the people who listen to my music realize that. But I think people who don't really know anything about me just sort of think I'm a country artist. So so sometimes there's this sort of faux outrage when I say something political or, uh, you know, something that is important to me that might be a progressive idea or something someone would view as liberal. I think a lot of country outlets and maybe country fans get all riled up about it. But, you know, I don't make pop music and I don't, I don't make pop country music and, and I've never been interested in that in the least. Uh, I think because I'm from Alabama and I have a southern accent, you know, people assume that I'm a country singer, but uh, but I don't I don't really feel that way, you know. And and country music has a lot of right wing conservative white fans, and and you know they always have because they have they have aimed their music at those people, and so that's what you get. Yeah, I remember at the Tuscaloosa Amphitheater several years ago, you, you referred to it on stage as a rock and roll show. You can certainly get a lot from a rock and roll show. It covers a lot of ground. It does. Rock and roll is like all-encompassing. I mean, there are country elements, there are blues elements, there are pop elements. There's all kinds of stuff. Opera, you know, Broadway music. Everything can sit comfortably under the umbrella of rock and roll. So that's what I like to call it. Jason, I know that you're not a doctor, but you did speak to one that people know recently. Dr. Fauci said that you and, and other artists should consider booking more outdoor events to help keep people safe as an entertainer. Your, your tour combines both outdoor and indoor venues. And I wonder, did you at any point consider postponing, relocating, or canceling indoor shows? Or do you feel the restrictions that you've implemented create a safe enough environment for the fans and the artists? Well, I think it would be safest to play all outdoor shows. I agree with that. Um, but I also think that the weather sucks right now, and it's not supposed to suck right now. You know, if this had happened 20 years ago, it would be much easier for us to play all of our shows outdoors, even on up into November or December. But the climate is different now than it was then. And like you saw at Bonnaroo, you know, they couldn't have Bonnaroo because of the weather. It didn't have anything to do with COVID. You know, so it's... I would love to be able to book all the shows outside, but that's not going to meet my bottom line, you know, psychologically or financially, because we're going to have to stop doing that pretty soon. And a good number of the shows that we book will be canceled because of the weather, because we just keep having storms. I mean, it's flooding in Pennsylvania and New York. That's not something that typically happens this time of year. And speaking of indoor shows, you said recently that playing on the show Billions was the first time that you had played indoors in a year. That's obviously a pretty unique way to do it, but did the setting for the return to playing an indoor show matter to you? Like, was playing in front of people indoors something that you'd planned in your head before it actually happened? Not really, no. Um, but once I was up there playing, you know, I had to play the same song like 15 times because we were making a TV show, but... um 
once I was in there playing, it did occur to me how much I, I love playing inside. Um, it just sounds different, and the lights are always good, you know, and, and there's something about it that, I don't know, I think I prefer playing indoors, uh, all else being equal, just because it is, for lack of a better term, more intimate. There aren't as many distractions, you know. Why look at the guy on stage when you can look at the sky, you know. And as I mentioned, when I saw you in Tuscaloosa back in 2015, you said to play a show back home means a lot to you. It means even more in some ways. Why is performing in Alabama important to you? Now it's important because I didn't know if I was going to get to do it or not. You know, I, I, I didn't know if, if the venues in Alabama were going to go along with the COVID restrictions. So I'm very pleasantly surprised and, and you know, proud in this particular instance. Um because that didn't happen in Mississippi and and in one of our Tennessee venues and one of our Texas venues. So that made me real happy. But also, you know, I get to see a lot of people from home. When we played in uh, in Montgomery over the weekend, Rob Aldridge opened for us. He's from North Alabama. I've known him and his band for a long time. Rob Malone was playing guitar with him, and, and Rob was the guy in the drive-by truckers before I was, you know, and, and I don't get to see those folks very often, so it was really nice, you know. Mike Cooley's wife and son came to the show in Montgomery, and we hung out. I think they're going to come see us in Birmingham also, and, you know, it just it, it makes me feel like I get to be closer to people who I haven't seen in, in a good long time. We'll be right back. So you recently joked that one way to slow the spread of COVID is for fans to stop yelling out requests. <laughs> I wonder, how mapped out are your set lists? I know it's different from from person to person. Are, are you pretty stubborn about sticking to the plan, or is there ever room or an urge to honor folks screaming things like play outfit from the front row? Yeah, you know, I don't I don't really listen to the folks who are yelling it from the audience, but... um I do change things sometimes. I added a song into the set the other night and, uh, you know, last tour I had my dad with me. So I played outfit almost every night just because he was there. Sometimes I'll change it at the last second, but for the most part, it's pretty solid because we have a big lighting rig and, uh, you know, I have a bunch of guitars and, and I like to play the right guitar for the right song. Um, so it throws a bunch of people off if I add another song into the set list. You know, I'll look on Twitter, though, before the show and see if there's something that somebody wants to hear and they have a good reason for it, then usually I'll put that in the in the set list for that night. But the deadline on that is usually two hours before the show because that's when I turn the set list in. Is there anything you missed about performing but you didn't know it, like maybe something you took for granted until you hit the road and played for people again? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, most of it I, I, I very actively thought about while I was sitting at home, you know, for a year. Uh, it, most of it I knew what I was missing. Um, let's see. Something that I didn't realize. Um, you know, okay, I miss, I miss opening acts. I miss going out and standing in the wings and watching the opener. Um, and that was something I didn't really think about while I was stuck at home. I was thinking about being on stage with my band, but, um, you know, we had Brittany Spencer open on quite a few shows and then we had Rob Aldridge this past weekend and, 
you know, I walk out into the wings with my daughter, who's been on the road with me quite a bit lately, and, and we watch the set. And that's a whole lot of fun. And it's also a really good way to get comfortable with the room and, and sort of loosened up psychologically for for your own set. So I, I missed that. That one, that one uh, uh, snuck up on me. Jason, can I ask you about something you mentioned last year regarding the principle of process? Last year, you said that you were trying to stay in the moment and live one day at a time during the pandemic, that it turned out that that was a good way to live through something like COVID. Did that hold true for you? And and how does the principle of process change between being cooped up at home during isolation and then getting back out on the road where you would often yearn to be? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it is, it is, it doesn't change. It is always the, for me, it's the way, you know, it, it, staying in the moment. And when I was in uh, rehab, they would say, keep your head and your ass in the same place. But yeah, that's, I think, how you increase your own awareness. And when you increase your awareness of, of what's going on around you, usually you increase your gratitude because, you know, if, you, if you're in the moment and you're, and you're, aware then you realize really how much you have to be grateful for and uh it's hard to get too far down and too awfully depressed when you spend all your time being grateful for the things that are around you in the moment um at least from my own personal experience you know i'm I'm not a depressive person but i certainly can get very sad i'm sure anybody who's heard my music would know that um but you know, a good way to keep myself from just being pulled down with the tide of all the dark, sad stuff that's happening in the world right now is is just be where I am and and uh, be aware. And then out of that comes this sort of natural appreciation. Like right now, I've got hummingbirds everywhere. I'm sitting on my porch and there are multiple hummingbirds and they're zooming past my face really, really fast. And I could be thinking about what I have to do after this interview. Um, but really, I'm thinking about these hummingbirds, and to get to sit and watch this is a pretty incredible thing. More than a year ago, you said that it might be about a year or so until you started writing music about that particular time, which was a few months into the pandemic. But in the meantime, you were just trying to get through it. And there were some people who felt that reunions was perhaps a bit prescient in reflecting similar thoughts and anxieties that many felt during the pandemic. And that obviously wasn't your intention because you didn't know a pandemic was coming. But do you see or hear the album any differently through the lens of COVID at all? And I wondered, have you entered that songwriting space more than a year later, like you predicted? Yeah, I have started writing some new songs. And a lot of them have to do with where I was, you know, for the last year and a half, because I'm always documenting my life you know as for the songs on reunions um i think performing them live in front of people gives them a little bit of a different context now certainly the title of the album but also a lot of those themes you know because originally it was about sort of reuniting with your past and with the with the ghosts of of people that you used to know and people that you used to be and and clearly that translates into our current situation in a whole lot of ways but you know i think we knew there was something coming. I mean, the collective unconscious knew that something was going to happen um, because I felt like we were sort of reaching this fever pitch. You know, we didn't know it was going to be this, but but something was up. And, and still something is coming, you know, something related to uh, either the climate or, or um, you know, the political climate or, you know, there, there's still, we're in a period of very big 
change. And, and I think that manifests itself in some really difficult ways, you know, so, so the songs that you write now, they might be very specifically about the time that you spent in your house during the pandemic, but five years from now, they're also going to be about whatever crazy, crazy shit we're dealing with five years from now. That's just the way it works when you're in this long-term period of, of change and, and you're documenting it as an artist. I think it winds up lining up. Like I, you know, I wrote on Hope the High Road. I, I wrote that line last year was a son of a bitch. And man, if, if, if it doesn't get more true every single year, every single time I sing it, it's, it's truer than it was the year that I wrote it. Well, and finally, Jason, you're an artist who has long had a reputation and, and obviously a talent for making art that really connects with people. And I think some would even say like the common man or woman telling stories and, and exploring themes that clearly mean a lot to your audience in the South in particular, and more specifically your home state. And we, in covering this pandemic, we've tried to understand why Alabama has been so stubborn about getting vaccinated with so many people pointing out that people in Alabama don't like being told what to do. And I just wonder, do you think that's true? And what do you think it's going to take to change the hearts of people here to help bring this to an end? Well, I don't think anybody likes being told what to do. Um, you know, I don't think that's something that's necessarily a bigger deal in Alabama than it is anywhere else. I think, you know, a lot of the problem comes back to how we're educated, you know, and, and critical thinking skills are developed through education. And I think, uh, you know, the, the education system in the South has been neglected for a long time. And, and now we're sort of uh, seeing the effects of that. You know, I, I think if the population is is undereducated, it's really hard for them to figure out who to trust, you know. So you can't necessarily blame it on the individuals, not entirely, you know. But I, I think I think that the system that's been in place when it comes to educating children in America, you know, has, has been lagging behind everywhere, but especially in some of the more rural areas. And, and I think that's not just something that applies to Alabama or to the South, but I think the rural areas all over the country because nobody's out there watching. Nobody, nobody sees how, what you're teaching your kids and how you're teaching your kids. And uh, a lot of those folks get left behind. And, and, you know, it might not become obvious when they're five or six or seven or eight or nine years old and they're hanging around with a bunch of people who are their equals. But when they get to adulthood and it's time to take a vaccine and they don't know who to trust, then it becomes obvious um, that their critical thinking skills aren't necessarily what they should be. You know, and I grew up in a public school system in, in North Alabama. I was lucky enough to have people in my family and, and certain teachers and people around me who who went above and beyond what the state required of them. You know, so I got very fortunate in that way. But I, I think that at the heart of it all, it's just educating people more, you know, doing a better job of teaching our kids how to think critically, you know, and that's it. That's all of it to me. I guess my real final question, Jason, is Is Alabama going to repeat this year in football? Yeah, yeah, they are. They definitely are. Yeah, yeah, That that's the easiest question you've asked me the whole time. Yeah, that man, Bryce Young is just, he, he's not concerned. It's amazing. Like, he, he's just back there, like, it looks like he's playing a, a pickup game with his buddies, you know. And the offensive line is is really good, and he's got a lot of time to make decisions. And I just don't think anybody's going to be able to stop him. Um, 
and even if he doesn't stay healthy, if he gets hurt, you know, they've got, what, Bear Bryant's grandson back there. I mean, it's going to be fine. Yeah. Jason Isbell, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate the time. If you or anyone else you know is affected by COVID and want to share your story, email me at bflanagan at al.com. That's B-F-L-A-N-A-G-A-N at al.com. If you have a question about COVID that needs answering, email vaccines at al.com. For all of our COVID coverage, visit al.com slash coronavirus. And if you like the show, please rate it and write a review. Thank you for listening.